0: part 1 of the grey mills of farley by sarah orne jewett this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading by matt parrott the mills of farley were close together by the river and the grey houses that belonged to them stood tall and bare alongside They had no room for gardens, or even for little green side yards, where one might spend a summer evening. The corporation, as this compact village was called by those who lived in it, was small but solid. You fancied yourself in the heart of a large town when you stood midway of one of its short streets. But from the street's end, you faced a wide green farming country. On spring and summer evenings, groups of the young folks of the corporation, would stray out along the country roads but it was very seldom that any of the older people went on the whole it seemed as if the closer you lived to the millyard gate the better you had more time to loiter on a summer morning and there was less distance to plod through the winter snows and rains the last stroke of the bell saw almost everybody within the mill doors There were always fluffs of cotton in the air, like great white bees drifting down out of the picker chimney. They lodged in the cramped and dingy elms and horse-chestnuts which a former agent had planted along the streets, and the English sparrows squabbled over them in eaves-corners and made warm, untidy great nests that would have contented an arctic explorer. Somehow the corporation homes looked like make-believe houses or huge stage properties, they had so little individuality or likeness to the old-fashioned buildings that made homes for people out on the farms. There was more homelikeness in the sparrows' nests, or even the toy-like railroad station, at the end of the main street, for that was warmed by steam and the stationmaster's wife, thriftily taking advantage of the steady heat brought her houseplants there, and kept them all winter on the broad window-sills. The corporation had followed the usual fortunes of New England manufacturing villages. Its operatives were at first eager young men and women from the farms nearby. these being joined quickly by pale English weavers and spinners, with their hearty-looking wives and rosy children. Then came the flock of Irish families, poorer and simpler than the others but learning the work sooner and gayer hearted now the canadian french contingent furnished all the new help and stood in long rows before the noisy looms and chattered in their odd excited fashion they were quicker fingered and willing to work cheaper than any other work people yet there were remnants of each of these human tides to be found as one looked about the mills old henry Dow, the overseer of the cloth hall was a lancashire man and some of his grandchildren had risen to wealth and prominence in another part of the country while he kept steadily on with his familiar work and authority a good many elderly irishmen and women still kept their places everybody knew the two old sweepers mary cassidy and mrs kilpatrick who were looked upon as pillars of the corporation they and their compatriots always held loyally together and openly resented the incoming of so many french you would never have thought that the french were for a moment conscious of being in the least unwelcome they came gaily into church and crowded the old parishioners of st michael's out of their pews as on weekdays, they took their places at the looms hardly one of the old parishioners had not taken occasion to speak of such aggressions to Father Daly, the priest, but Father Daly continued to look upon them all as souls to be saved, and took continual pains to rub up the rusty French, which he had nearly forgotten, in order to preach a special sermon every other Sunday. This caused old Mary Cassidy to shake her head gravely. "'Miss Kilpatrick, ma'am,' she said one morning, fakes. They ain't folks at all. Tis but a pack of images they do be, with all their chatter like birds in a hedge. Sure, then, the Holy St. Francis himself was, after saying that the little birds was his sister's, answered Mrs. Kilpatrick, a godly old woman who made the stations every morning, and was often seen reading a much-handled book of devotion. She was, moreover, always ready with a friendly joke. They ain't the same at all was in them innocent times when there was plenty saints living in the world, insisted Mary Cassidy. Look at them thrash now. The old sweeping women were going downstairs with their brooms. It was almost twelve o'clock, and like the old gray horses in the mill yard, they slackened work in good season for the noonday bell. Three gay young French girls ran downstairs past them. They were let out for the afternoon and were hurrying home to dress and catch the 1240 train to the next large town that little one is michelle's daughter she's a nice child too very quiet and has got more christian tart than most said mrs Kilpatrick. they live overhead o me there's nine of themselves in two rooms two does be borders those upper rooms Bees very large entirely at Fitzgibbon's, said Mary Cassidy, with unusual indulgence. Tis all the company cares about, is to get a good rent out of the pay. They're asked every little while by honest folks. On't they build a trifle of small houses beyond the church up there, but no, they'd rather the money and cape us like bees in them old hives. Sure, in winter we're better for having the more fires, but summer is the penance. They all says, "Why don't folks build their own houses?" They does always be talking about Mike Callahan and how well he saved up and owns a pretty place for himself, convenient to his work. You might tell them he'd money left him by a brother in California till you'd be black in the face. They'd stick to it. Twas in the picker he earned it from themselves grumbled Mary Cassidy. Them French spends all their money on their backs, don't they? suggested Mrs. Kilpatrick, as if to divert the conversation from dangerous channels. Look at them three girls now, off to Spencer, with their fortnight's pay in their pocket. A couple of onions and a bag of crackers is all they want, and a pinch of lard to their butter, pronounced Mary Cassidy with scorn. The whole town of em Won't be the worst of a dollar, for stake the week round. They all go back and buy land in Canada. They spend no money here. See how well they forget their pocketbooks every Sunday for the collection. They do be very light, too. They've more laugh than ourselves. Tis meself's getting old anyway. I don't laugh much now." "'I like to see a pretty girl look fine,' said Mrs. Kilpatrick no they don't be young but once the mill bell rang and there was a moment's hush of the jarring racketing machinery and a sudden noise of many feet trampling across the dry hard pine floors first came an early flight of boys bursting out of the different doors and chasing one another down the winding stairs two steps at a time the old sweepers who had not quite reached the bottom stood back against the wall for safety's sake until all these had passed then they kept on their careful way the crowd passing them by as if they were caught in an eddy of the stream last of all they kept sober company with two or three lame persons and a cheerful delayed little group of new doffers the children who minded bobbins in the weave room and who were young enough to be tired and even timid One of these doffers, a pale, pleasant-looking child, was all fluffy with cotton that had clung to her little dark plaid dress. When Mrs. Kilpatrick spoke to her, she answered in a hoarse voice that appealed to one's sympathy. You felt that the hot room and dry cotton were to blame for such hoarseness. It had nothing to do with the weather. "'Where are you living now, Maggie, dear?' the old woman asked. "'I'm in Callahan's yet.' But they won't keep me after today, said the child. There's a man who wants to get bored there. They're changing round in the rooms, and they've no place for me. Miss Callahan couldn't keep me lest I'd get my pay raised. Mrs. Kilpatrick gave a quick glance at Mary Cassidy. Come home with me, then, till yez get a bite a dinner, and we'll talk about it. She was kindly to the child. I'd a wish for company for the day. The two old companions had locked their brooms into a three-cornered closet at the stair-foot and were crossing the mill-yard together. They were so much slower than the rest that they could only see the very last of the crowd of mill-people disappearing along the streets and into the boarding-house doors. It was late autumn. The elms were bare. One could see the whole village of Farley, all its poverty and lack of beauty, at one glance. The large houses looked as if they belonged to a toy village and had been carefully put in rows by a childish hand it was easy to lose all sense of size in looking at them a cold wind was blowing bits of waste and paper high into the air now and then a snowflake went swiftly by like a courier of winter mary Casty and mrs kilpatrick hugged their old woollen shawls closer about their round shoulders and the little girl followed, with short steps, alongside. End of Part 1